out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed, we are. This is David Esau. This is the C86 Show. And this week's special guest is going to be the one and the only, yes, you caught it, Tommy Withers from The Stupid, sometimes referred to or known as Tommy Stupid, as you do. So I've got that interview that I've broken up into the usual three or four easy to digest little segments for your enjoyment, as always. Put in the customer first, um, alongside the usual award-worthy playlist. So, to get the party on the road, we should start with your favourite and mine. Indeed, indeed, this is Jesus Loves the Stupids, and I'm sure he did. Come on, Angus, get Malcolm and write a song. Okay, sounds groovy. How about this? There you go. I loved it. And that's the main thing. That was um, The Stupids with a track titled Jesus Loves the Stupids that came out in 1988 on the Vinyl Solution record label. And that was also the title of their second album. We loved it then. We love it now. And that's the main thing. Now, this week's special guest is going to be Tommy or Tom from the band. 
I know, dramatic pause there, actually, because uh, he goes as Tommy Stupid, but he's also Tom Withers as well. It's a tricky world. So I've got that interview that I've uh, broken up into probably three easy-to-digest little segments. Um, then some, oh yes, I could do admin. You can contact me via Facebook, Twitter, or even Instagram. I know, check me out on my social media platforms. Um, at C86, that's it. That's all you need to do. And also the shows have been archived for your enjoyment. So you can find them on Spotify, iTunes, Mixcloud, Podbean. There you go, the holy fool. So we're going to play another track, then the first uh, part of the interview with Tom. Tommy, who knows? This is taken from a John Peel session from 1987, in fact, May. And this is titled Life's a Drag. Indeed, that was excitable stuff, and that was also the stupids, and that was a John Peel session that was recorded May 1987, and that was hopefully Life's a Drag. Sometimes it's tricky to know which session and what uh, track it is. But anyway, I'm giving it a guess, and that's good enough for me. Anyway, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. This week's uh, special guest is going to be Tom Tommy Stupid, kind of, um, from, uh, yes, The Stupids as you would be if you were part of that band. And uh, this is the first part of my quote, um, the first part, uh, which was kind of interesting, actually, because halfway through the introductions and the getting to know you and all that kind of stuff, he had a delivery. Or no, he didn't. He had a, somebody needed to pick some stuff up from him. So um, we had to have that little break. And then we were talking about our sort of age and um, musical influences. And we both, I think we both have um, an older brother, or in his case, a sister who was into prog rock. And my brother was into prog rock. So we had started talking about that world. And this was his response to that world that is, yes, Genesis and everything else. You didn't expect to hear that conversation on the um, interview with the stupids, but yes, there it is. Here it is. Tommy, take it away. Yes, yeah. I mean, you know, as I said, my, my sister was an artist 
and I think you know what, what was his name? The uh, Roger Dean. The um, oh God, Roger Dean posters. God, we loved them. Yeah, <laughs> and and all that sort of you know, and and hearing the the sounds of uh, Tangerine Dream and uh, Edgar Froza. She was she she had those records. So I'd hear all this sort of amazing spatial music, and and to go in her bedroom and see the 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 you know the the, the completely out there art and stuff like that. So for me, that's imprinted um in me and very big influence and i'm i'm you know into synthesizers and stuff like that these these days and and what i do for music now um although we still do the stupids but um so yeah that's that had a big impact on on me i kind of you know um more towards that came more in once i started getting interested in dance music and ambient music and then kind of revisiting all this sort of amazing music kind of initially uh for for sampling and then just kind of got into all of this and realized that the, the whole sort of connection and uh you know the formative influences and stuff like that so uh, yeah the, the the sort of you know being around that and being encouraged to be into music in the in the sort of late 70s and then in the 80s it it was such an amazing decade for music that you know this kind of uh, it, you know it just seemed like a whole lifetime of music was kind of encapsulated into and into one decade really it's quite amazing yes well absolutely and i'm i'm just i'm still impressed that um you know, I know this is a sort of bit of a gender thing, but most prog rock fans are mostly, you know, men of a certain, you know, look and age and sort of profession. So I'm really excited to think that there was a there was a woman who was in there who wasn't into accountancy or economics because yeah, because no, most of my was... brother's friends were that kind of way and were all a bit <laughs> floppy floppy hair and absolutely no fashion at all. You know, like you know, slightly you know, and getting jobs in you know with suits and off they went to you know spreadsheets. So um, yeehaw, Roger. Yeah. Dean. Yes, I always remember when Half Man Half Biscuit did a song and they referenced the Roger Dean poster on your wall. So um, I, <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. But uh, yeah, it's good that she was. Uh, she didn't sort of just go for the arty Roxy music glam as well. Well, she might that, have done. That was that was my other sister. Um, another uh, older sister, but younger than her, the middle one, and uh, she was more into the kind of uh disco and sort of flamboyant side of stuff so she was she was that kind of roxy music influence but um uh you know the glamour and the, and the glitz and all that sort of stuff yes so, uh, so with your you know when you began your musical journey which was you know you kept it very neat it was 1980 which i think was impressive as well as being in ipswich which is kind of doubly impressive because we're we're based in norwich so you know, oh, okay. So we, right. we, we had that world of, um, well, actually, I, I sort of missed the Norwich scene if there was such a thing, because, you know, it was like the Hickson's Farmer's Boys and um, Serious Drinking. So obviously, you know, yeah. um, that was there, you know, the scene here. But I suppose I, I had slightly got, well, slightly became more obsessed with the John Peel stuff that he was playing and, and sort of as well as kind of listening to the 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 kind of songs not just the indie songs but the kind of the whole things like the early rap scene as well as the Bundy Boys and Gregory Isaacs and you know oh, yeah. all those you know I just loved all that kind of world music and reggae scene that he played as well so so the 80s like you said was was amazing so what what was the kind of moment and catalyst for your musical kind of launch my 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 musical um uh birth as it were um well i mean originally i i was buying 
records quite early um, because I was I just got obsessed with the Beatles because um, my dad had bought um, at the at the time of release he'd bought all the Beatles albums for the family and uh, you know they kind of were just there in the family record collection so I was sort of at some point just um, became really into those and I must have been um i don't know 10 9 10 um and um i i remember going to record shops to buy more beatles singles because we had tons but i was just obsessed with just having more even though i had had everything just wanted to kind of get my own um there were those kind of um green um I think they're are they parlophone singles there was a whole sort of series where they reissued them in green and, and white sleeves but um but in in terms of kind of my own what i consider my kind of um you know realization my birth into music was um it was the stranglers no more heroes um which my sister had bought as a single and i was just kind of like really taken with this this thing and and um she's like oh you know i've got got she um i think polly had, had bought never mind the bollocks and um it was just you know kind of this outrageous thing just this kind of really sort of uh exceptional sort of thing and so just uh was just really sort of drawn to it but because it was this is sort of 77 78 it didn't really sort of um you know I, I was still quite young 10 i suppose 10 yeah and um you know it, it she she gave me um black and white the stranglers black and white album when that came out which i think 77 78 um which seems awfully early um, and it's all a bit of a blur, but kind of the, 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 the real sort of time where it became, right, this is what I'm doing. This is, this is now me it was 1980. Um, and, um, it kind of all started with, um, on my birthday going and buying, um, another kind of blues UK subs from Debenhams. Um, and it was kind of, and then, you know, having a bit of, Bit, bit of money left over going to secondhand shop buying. Um, I think I bought Sid Sings and um, Valley of the Dolls Generation X. And it was just like, oh my God, this, this, I have to have punk, whatever's punk. And um, Ipswich at that time had a, had a, a quite a few secondhand record shops and quite a few new record shops too. So it became this kind of mission for the next, you know, two or three years sort of every chance I could go into town, walk around, go and check the record shops out, including John Menzies and Woolworths, you know, you'd still go in and flick through the racks and, and, and uh, look at all their records, check out all the artwork of everything, you know, whether it is Judas Priest or, or um, Sky or, or whatever you'd sort of flick through in the, in the hope of, sort of finding something, interesting so i so i think really at that time it's kind of just really immersing myself in the whole culture and and kind of learning what was what and you know looking at all the artwork and stuff like that and it was really um just a completely captivating time really 
Yeah, just amazing. And did you? I mean, because 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 the band you sort of formed was sort of like towards the sort of mid. I suppose it was about eighty four, wasn't it, when you started to, um, yes, suddenly say this is the, this is the moment. So had there been a few years before that of of sort of having a go in being very in various other bands? Yeah, yeah, I would say probably nineteen eighty two. Um, at some point I'd, um, you know, I was demanding like access to drums and it was kind of rejected, um, as something that I would just break and, um, lose interest in very quickly. So I managed to convince my dad to get me a guitar, um, which was sort of a K, K guitar, which is sort of like 59 pounds or something in those days. And so that would have been 82-ish and immediately sort of got together with people um, in school um, and kind of just messed about and, and uh, you know, had in inverted commas a band, but never really. Yes. I think we might have got together in, at his house once um, Oh God, I can't, I'm trying to calling hearts. I think we call ourselves because it was uh, he, he was quite into new romantic and stuff. But um, so the, the stupids really um, started in '83 when um, I'd got together with a guy called Wolfie in Ipswich who had written a, a letter into the Punk Lives magazine, um, and I was just so shocked that there was someone from Ipswich into um other not just he wasn't punk he was sort of someone else from outside of the scene and he was into american stuff ramones and and, um so that was kind of the start of the stupids i was playing guitar at that time um even though i had a drum set by then Uh, and um yeah so 83 was kind of really when it officially started but 84 was when i switched to drums and then it became a um something that was other than hopeless which it was before (laughs) easily done anyway that's the first part of my interview with tom tommy stupid from the stupids um still more of that to come but i think we should break it up with some music this is going to be another track by the band this is called stupid monday
Indeed, it just gets better and better. But that is the stupids with the track title Stupid Monday. This is David Eastall. This, this is the C86 show. And this is the second part of my interview with Tom, where I was talking about the sound of the band. Because um, it wasn't jingly jangly indie pop. Oh, no. And this was Tom's response. Tom, respond now. Well, we, we um, or me, um, I... Um was coming at the stupids from um, the uh, American hardcore angle. So uh, from my perspective at that time was was to, to sound um, as much like an American hardcore band as we possibly could. So it, it was quite sort of uh, a narrow um, vision, really. Um, so, you know, because we're, you know, starting from stuff like Dead Kennedys, but mo moving on and, and to stuff like bands like uh, DOA, Minor Threat, Black Flag, um, these kind of bands. Um, I had a, a pen pal. Well, I had a because I was born in America and went to um, a couple of years of kindergarten there before moving back to England way back in the 70s. But um, I managed to get back in touch with a, a sort of child, uh, uh, you know, a kindergarten friend who who coincidentally happened to be into punk too. So he was feeding me cassettes from college radio, so, so circa 1982-83. So I kind of had this sort of mainline access to very sort of underground um, American stuff from Boston and, um, and beyond. So I had this kind of... Um, I don't know, kind of accelerated vision of, of what I wanted to do with this because uh, as a kind of reaction to what English punk had been. So at that at that time, there was kind of, apart from the kind of, um, you know, the, the kind of uh, prog progression of influence from experimental stuff, which is what punk, where punk came from and stuff, was very much influenced solely by that. Yeah. Uh, Although, you know, there's all kinds of different connections and, and influences um, of, of various sorts. Like my sister, um, Polly, was squatting with members from 23 Skidoo. So I had this kind of other influence from that um, for wanting to record at home straight away and, and bounce stuff between cassette players and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, in, in terms of the sound, the stupids kind of... Um, we're just pretty much a straight up um, American influenced hardcore band, but being where we were from and the time, we're kind of pretty much out there on our own, particularly at the beginning. Um, and I suppose that's really what kind of caught um, John Peel's ear, really, um, and kind of brought us into this kind of this field of of um, you know uh, John the the John Peel. Um, spectrum sort of thing so uh, yes well I, I sort of realized the importance I hadn't realized the importance until doing this kind of show which is that John Peel you know he's like the gatekeeper you know but he was such a critical thing because I you know if a band gets together and they make a sound and there was a few bands at school who I must admit weren't very good they sounded like Marillion which was kind of like <laughs> you know what I mean sub Marillion which was kind of you know the worst thing you could imagine you know it's like you know you t yeah anyway it doesn't matter to, but you know it's it's like there was so little you know I think coming from the countryside you 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 end up you, you realize there's this shock wave and it takes ages to get to the you know to the you know to the 
the sticks, I suppose, even if they're small towns or big towns, you know, it doesn't quite happen, does it? And so, yes, yeah, so if a band gets together, they play a few gigs in front of their friends and family and anybody else they can emotionally um, blackmail to go along. It's, <laughs> it's kind of, you know, you're stuck. And then John Peel gave, you know, would give you a spin on his show. And obviously suddenly, you know, you could get a booking from Manchester, Leeds, Glasgow, Brighton, Bristol, you know, that gave you, gave bands that, you know, oh God, someone just wants us to go and play at the Norwich Arts Centre, you know, which would have not happened without that, moment and a John Peel session was another kind of critical thing that gave people a, a opportunity to make a good record with probably Dale Griffith as the producer and, yes. then, and then that kind of bounced onto the album and then a bit more of a professional moment would happen with the first album and possibly yes. a proper tour and Europe kind of thrown in so what was your was what was your kind of narrative like in those you know early and and those well, kind of first five years I um I was just obsessed with because uh, I, I, I suppose because I was born in America, I was kind of obsessed with getting back out there. It sort of became this kind of childhood dream, a dreamt of you know uh, of it. It was just kind of there in, in in you know partly in my DNA because uh, you know having been there at such a, a young age, and I um, I mean I can't quite remember timeline, but I I. I remember we had, uh, um, I'm kind of, I'm, I think I'm skipping a couple of years actually. So I'll, I'll go back. I, I think in, in terms of making the music and getting our first sort of good recording done, which was done uh, um, by Andrew Fryer in, in um, Stutton, um, small, small village, just outside of Ipswich, and, and we're just so lucky to have access to this guy's eight-track studio. And I, I remember ringing him up and sort of asking, well, will, "Will he do punk?" And he's like, "Well, as long as you don't smash the place up." And so uh, <laughs> along came three very well-behaved middle-class boys from Ipswich, and and, uh, and recorded there. We're so lucky to to have him and to for him to be able to sort of record what we're doing and do it do it well enough that we we came out with a um a great recording which um one of the guys rick lewis from the scene he was in a band called free state in ipswich he said send it to this guy dig um he he's kind of he he's got a, a, a you know he does gigs in nottingham so i sent it to him and he he just sort of freaked out and said you've got to come up and play in nottingham and so we were kind of immediately um, kind of uh, jettisoned into this sort of wa much wider sort of um, scene and were given this sort of great exposure um, on this night with Chaos UK and uh, Concrete Socks, I think, and um, a, ba a band called Onslaught. But um, they... Uh, it kind of we were absolutely nobody nobody had ever heard of us and we sort of were given such a, a great sort of slot at the gig and just it just went off it was just crazy um and um from that gig um KSUK said oh well you should send your tape to um children of the revolution records which we did and he immediately signed that up so so from this kind of um, just schoolboy, let's do a band and let's do record because that's what you do for, for for no other reason, just because that's what you do. And so uh, there were there was kind of not a lot of yearning, there was not a lot of um, vision, there was no sort of ambition whatsoever. Apart, from, we just kept sort of getting jettisoned into these sort of 
um, great positions to do stuff. And and um, so he did the single. It went well. He's like, I want you guys to do an album. So we did the album, and I, and I think from that album, Proving Vacation, um, one of John Peel's kind of um, assistants that you know, um, I can't, I can't, I think his name was William. Um, he he was working, uh, being an intern for John Peel, and he said, oh, you should check these guys out. And it was it was simply from that that, um, you know, we came onto Peel's radar, and he just started playing the tracks on the radio. And, and I remember at the time being completely oblivious to it, like just sort of, oh, right, you know, <laughs> just sort of, um, and, and which is very strange and and kind of probably typical of me just being completely um, out there and, and oblivious to it all because I I was that kid and you know lying in bed with my headphones plugged in um, listening to him on the radio kind of uh, waiting for some you know uh, magical moments which w- would always happen yes um, and and what was so great about it is because it was so so rare find you would li- you would sit through and and patiently go through all the fall and you know um all, all the all the um you know there's so many classic peel bands which he would play virtually every night and you go okay not <laughs> not so into that but you you would just weather it all and and um i think even you know being exposed to that is just uh, really enriching yes well it was good. it was interesting and it, it was one band that i can remember thinking you know just kind of like you you know you sort of sat through most of all yeah sat through most of it because I'd I'd never listened to it live I'd always put it on a tape and then listen to the tape several times because it was all kind of new stuff so it needed a couple of listens and um, and the hard-ons from Australia did that single girl in a sweater which was one of those sort of records that made me sort of sit up and think oh right I must must make a note write it in this book you know of all these records that I would try to get, but fail miserably. But you know, years later or decades later, you know, you think, "Oh, it's on Spotify." Thank God for that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so it was, you know, it was like you know a ninety-minute tape, and you'd think if I got two really good songs out of that, I'd be happy. That was a good payoff, you know. So it was kind of interesting because the interesting thing is you you also because mostly with the band, you know, they do that first record, and that's all their life work and sort of creative. You know, that's everything. They've just put the whole lot in the basket and it's it. But you managed to sort of keep releasing albums. And, and you know, it was like quite a few years before you made your classic Jesus Loves to, uh, Meets the Stupids, wasn't it? Yeah. Again, that, that was sort of um, all of this sort of stuff um, seemed to sort of just happen naturally. There was no sort of every, it, we didn't pursue anything because we we're just a bunch of um you know 15 16 year old kids um and i this this is kind of around the time that i kept sort of buggering off to america for three two or three months at a time um just to be there and sort of stay there and be around you know american punk and all that stuff and um i would i would be getting phone calls going you you've got to come back you've got to come back because um john peel wants to do a session and i was like oh right cool <laughs> and um so um i think uh yeah we did a number of set i think the stupids did three sessions and we did a frankfurter session which, which is technically the stupids anyway so there's there's four four stupid sessions all together but um it, it 
at, at, during this sort of time, this kind of there, there was, seemed to be this sort of um, kind of music biz hype. Um, I was away. This is over the course of just a few months. It, it's not like this happening, you know, over a long period of time. So, to, you know, two two or three months. So, um, oh, there's this there's these guys from a record company who really want to do um, another record. And oh, who are they? That that sounds great. You know, fine. And it's Vinyl Vinyl Solution, who um, you know completely um, uh, you know is a startup record company. They're they're a sort of high high end record collecting shop in um, in uh, Notting Hill. Um, and um, he so we just we just went along with it. They asked, so they they did it. Actually, come to think of it. Rough Trade, the shop, um, maybe about six months earlier, had uh, um, asked. They were interested in. Um, it, it's very strange. They 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 were interested in getting the stupids together with Adrian Sherwood, and were interested in starting their own label, which eventually, I think, a year or two later, uh, or so, turned into Ouija Records. Um, they eventually did it, and they, they, it was a completely different thing. So I wouldn't say that this this idea was going to be Ouija, but it was the, the you kind of the first. They said they wanted to do a, a label. Would you be interested in doing it? But nothing ever happened. So uh, that's why that didn't happen. There wasn't any kind of disinterest. It just never happened. So the next people to ask were Vinyl Solution, and we just went, oh, okay. They turned out to be uh, amazing people and uh, really sort of jettisoned us into the, the kind of the next level. They sort of uh, introduced us to, to, you know, producers and and uh, press agents and stuff like that. And um, so by the time we, we got around to doing Van Stupid, we sort of done the Peel session and um, there, there was sort of seemingly quite a lot of um, hype in in the biz that uh when van stuber came out there's a tremendous amount of press um and that's kind of uh a little bit of the kind of i don't know it, it seemed a bit crazy at the time just uh the level of interest it was just unbelievable yeah again there was absolutely no aspirations on our part there was no expectations we weren't after anything it was just oh smash hits want to do a center spread okay <laughs> that's funny and and we just went along and did it, and it was just um, just crazy. So getting um, stopped in in the street by kids uh, who recognised us, and you know it was it was all completely it just happened. And I think at the time we we were criticised quite heavily from within the punk scene because you know obviously that's where we're coming from. Um, and I suppose you know it's a bit. Um, you know, from from their point of view, it's it's you know you don't do that. But we, you know, we were being nothing but punk with our attitudes with it because we're just like, okay, fine, if you want to do that, fine. We weren't we weren't actively pursuing it, so it was just strange times. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. I like my enthusiasm there. That is the second part of my interview with Tom from the band. I think another track, then more chat. This is going to be laid back session.
And roll. That is um, a track titled A Laid Back Session from The Stupids. If you're a fan, fill your boots. You're going to be enjoying this next, um, well, the whole show, basically. Um, if you're not, then you should be. Anyway, this is going to be the um, probably the third part of the interview with Tom, where I had been talking about the dynamic of the band and um, was saying how relaxed they all seemed, unlike some bands, which were quite high maintenance. That's putting it nicely. Anyway, Tom, tell us about your dynamics. Well, not just yours, but the bands, because we love those kind of conversations. We do. Well, in all honesty, we, we didn't have enough time for anything major like that to, to happen it re- it really seemed to kind to to go as quick as it came this kind of this interest um i'd say that you know the the, the flash was sort of um come and gone over a sort of 18 month period in which we managed to do band stupid we did the frankfurter ep and then jesus meets the stupids is kind of kind of the swan song of that era it was kind of um it 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 was just sort of kind of the end end of things and and the band fell apart and 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 i suppose really it fell apart just because um there was tension in the band um you know uh, uh you know the the formative member wolfie had gone you know two two records before he went kind of during retard picnic um and we kind of went on from that with with um steve on bass and ed on guitar and then kind of around jesus meets the stupids there was kind of you know ed wanted to go off and and do his own thing which is bad dress sense at that time another band and so i suppose really yeah there was you know there were there were kind of i'd see it as kind of minor um minor sort of struggles like that but it, you know really there wasn't enough time for anyone to sort of get ahead of themselves and and um you know start wearing cowboy boots and <laughs> and you know doing the country album or anything like that so um but yes. yeah it, it it was just sort of i think because we didn't and I, I mean i don't want to sit there and say oh you know if if we'd have done this because I, I don't really have any regrets or whatever but you know if you think back on it as an extremely fortunate position that we've been thrown in but because we hadn't necessarily pursued it we didn't know what what we had and you know we just sort of did our thing and and kind of um until it burnt out which is kind of um what it what it did really yes. 
Did you have yeah. a Did you have a moment where you could say this is the day that we sort of called it? You know, was it a moment? I mean, somebody once said, you know, it was in a car park, and they just said, "Oh, let's just forget this," and everyone went, "Yep, that's good enough for me." You know, and that was the end of it. I don't know how people get on with the kind of legal side and publishing and and all the bank account, but I mean, did you have a moment where you could officially say that was the end? No, not really. I I think because once Ed left, um, I um, went on trying different people to work with. Um, and there was a couple of replacements. Um, Mitch, who was in a band called Unseen Terror. Um, and, um, <clears throat> and also we, I played, a, 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 I don't think we did a gig. I think we did a few rehearsals with um, a guy called Giz Butt, who was, um, who was in a band called the Dis- Disruptors, but ended up being guitar player in The Prodigy and, and stuff much later on mm-hmm. but he was the wrong wrong style so basically it just kind of couldn't couldn't really sort of get it together with anyone and i moved to america and it was just yeah it, it, it so there wasn't a sort of defining moment but it was just kind of um you know trying to keep something going that that wasn't um meant to be so yes. it just stopped and um you know and then 20 years later marty the original guitar player um he got back in touch and wanted to wanted to do music again and i said it on the on on the basis that we don't do the stupids and of course the first thing we do is play a bunch of stupid songs and and uh yeah so uh, you know we, we 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 sort of came started playing again 20 years later uh and and again it was sort of i didn't want to there was no intention of of pursuing it but it just somehow worked out that we did end up doing that anyway so and in in kind of typical fashion there's there's no kind of um aspirations or or pursuit apart from we kind of had a goal we wanted to get to out to japan which we did so um (laughs) so yeah we we uh after we went to japan we're kind of like all right there's nothing to do. There's, there's nothing to do now. Nothing to live for anymore. So, but we're still we're still going. So. Oh, brilliant! I didn't realise. I, I sort of was kind of up to that point where, you know, things. You were quite a little bit active about three or four years ago when you were about to do a tour and you broke your leg. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. We uh, no, we we play. We're we're an act. We're an ongoing concern. Um, in fact, we're playing. In a couple of weeks in in London um, with the with an American band called Moving Targets, I should tell you so you can. Um, yes. I don't know when your show is, but it is on the twenty eighth of October in London. I'm afraid I don't know the venue. No, but they, they can. Do um, oh, so what does it feel like? Because I've had you know interesting experience talking to people who have had that reform because they got a big offer to say, look, you know, come and tour these festivals in America, give you up your day job, it's all going to be good, and and it's like, oh, actually, twenty years, we forgot a lot of the problems, and then it's gone really badly, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there was there was an issue to do with somebody's visa not being done, and then they had to cancel, and people had given up their jobs, that day job, so things weren't uh-huh. good. So yes, it, it it didn't end well, and I don't think it's um, been sorted. So how did it? So have you managed to navigate the the reunion? And uh, how did that? Yeah, happen? yeah, we it, we get on really well. Um, I think we get on so well because we're all incredibly incredibly relaxed about it, and um, it is literally 
Um, you know, I, I, I found it difficult um, initially because um, I do a lot of DJing. I, I do drum and bass um, and produce music under the name Clute. And I would find it very difficult to um, commit to Stupid's uh, dates um, it, because something may very well come into my DJing diary and uh, a DJ diary and, and would need to do it. Um, and then I'd be in this sort of uh, difficult situation of either having to cancel the, uh, the stupid's gig or work out a way to do both and stuff like that. But um, I kind of got to a place now where I'm I'm just sort of quite happy uh, to do the stupid's and just set set that aside and be like, sorry, I can't I can't do the the gig. So you know, what, that, that was the main thing. It was just that kind of. Um, time management you know we we've all got sort of lives and stuff like that but um we managed to come together and we we just have a, a really good time doing it and we're just very relaxed about it and enjoying being able to to go up there and and you know play the songs and stuff so it's uh, yeah it's all a bit too amicable i think sometimes you know a bit of tension can uh, sometimes make things a bit more exciting but <laughs> well it's it well it's interesting because quite there's a few bands and and um i remember the darling buds and i think the, the primitives they kind of reformed i think it was a sort of a, probably a death somewhere along the line in some ex-member and i think it, you know they all met up at a funeral I mean, I, and it's that kind of moment where it's like oh god we haven't seen each other for years and and or decades and then it's like oh it'd be quite nice to have a gig again and it's it's like well i can gig occasionally on a friday or saturday but i'm you know but i'm not going to you know gig during the week when i'm at work and you know we'll put out the odd single or album or not album but ep but it's much more kind of keeping it manageable and not taken over the rest of the lives because yeah. it can easily happen and and i think most people keep a check on that you know side of life yeah i mean it's i mean i wouldn't say that there's you know that we we do we have the ability to go out there and play we have the interest there's interest in in releasing our music which is which is great but um you know there's certainly no sort of um you know, uh, uh, there's no sort of great possibility of of you know career or whatever. But um, some bands, I think, um, you know, have you know that such a long lasting fan base that they 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 have the ability to sort of uh, really um, you know build on that and have come back full time and probably do much better out of it than they did back in the day. Um, and I think you know that's really fortunate for a lot of people. I think. Yes, it's a really big scene out there of of kind of just you know whatever eighties nineties bands that can uh, go out and you know just um, play sort of kind of big festival events or whatever sort of back to the nineties or or whatever um, and you know I think they I think they do really well out of it and and I think you know because they're not you know sort of nineteen and you know want to smash everything up they're they're much more um appreciative of it and the whole thing is just you know much more uh, level-headed i think yes well I, yes I'm, I'm sure they're a bit more careful with their gear now actually and their money too probably yes i think it'd be. so how did you navigate that murky world of publishing and ownership of music is it something that that you did fortunately or is it like oh well never mind yeah, oh well, never mind. Basically, Bas uh, um, you know, Vinyl Solutions still own own their 
um, side of things. The um, the early stuff kind of just got sold off, um, bad advice, and sold off to um, a kind of holding company, and it's just sort of uh, you know in, got, gone into the um, murky, darky world of holdings companies, and who knows what and stuff like that. But um, you know, to to be honest, it's just. It, 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 there's not a, a, a enough of it to be, you know, it, nothing was in a, um, a Tom Cruise movie or anything like that. So, um, you know, I don't think there was a tremendous amount to, um, that's been lost. So, no. Well, that's a relief. Anyway, that's the third part of my interview with Tom. I think we're going to have one more track and then the last part of the, the interview. This is going to be also taken from the John Peel session. From May 1987, this is Heard It All Before. So, um, what's happening, Michael? Uh, well, I went fishing. I just broke up a record and threw it in, fish ate it up, you know. Yeah? Yeah, it's pretty cosmic. See, I went train spotting and uh, someone called me a brat. Oh, I really? Thought, I am not. A brat? <laughs> I am <laughs> not King Adrog or anything like that, no, no, so no, I think no. we should shoot them all. MCA? No, who the hell's it? <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. That's all we've got to say about that. That's the stupid that's from a John Peel session. That is heard it all before. This is the last part of my interview with Tom, where I'd been talking about, I suppose, the music industry and the business and um, all that stuff about things like publishing rights. And um, yes, he was kind of rocking and rolling with that idea. So I sort of babbled on for a bit. And um, this was his reply. Tom, what, were you, what was your reply? One thing that I, I mean, I can't say, you know, without knowing the details but one thing at the time there was i know that we were being courted by zomba music for a publishing deal around the time of the you know stupid's mania as it were and um you know they they, they were telling us about the, the you know our record company were kind of our managers and they were telling us about this and and suddenly that sort of didn't happen and the next thing we knew we're being asked to sign a publishing deal to them <laughs> so and i said by no means were they ripping us off and in that sense, but they probably realised that they'd be saving an awful lot of money not having to pay uh, mechanicals out to another, a different publisher. So we were kind of advised to 
to sign um, to schnozzer music as opposed to zomba music, which was, you know, I think doing Bruce Springsteen and whatever at the time. So, um, I mean, you know, again, I, I know what the world's like of, of publishing. It's, you know, you're a very small fish in a very uh, immense ocean. So, you know, that could have, we could have been signing something for life and, you know, being in even worse situations. So, who, who's to know, who's to say, you know. Yes, so, well, it's, it sounds like, you know, you had a breezy attitude to the sort of, that kind of musical zeitgeist anyway, which which is probably the better thing to do. Well, we thought it's hilarious. I, I remember um, um, the manager from the wedding present, um, he was sort of ringing us up going, oh, we, we, you know, really want to sort of get you in the studio and, and sort of, because we, we had a, a sort of, a really terrible hip hop track on Van Stupid and and a lot of people got really excited about that because it was that that time when uh, you know Beastie Boys LS, LL Cool J was um really fashionable so we you know had this tremendous ability uh, uh, a tremendous potential sorry to be this kind of English Beastie Boys which we weren't at all we just sort of messed about and made this awful track um and um you know, so we there, there was just all kinds of sort of ridiculous situations were, were being suggested to us. And one of them was the wedding present. We were it, management sort of contacting us. And I, I mean, you know, I, I just sitting there in, in a housing co-op house in, in Tottenham Hale, just thinking, this is ridiculous. You know, we're, we're, we're just a punk band. So, um, it, not being that kind of a business schmoozy, uh, music business schmoozy you know whereas you know uh, maybe some people would sort of go out for a drink and you know build on this and build relationships and end up you know scoring um film scores and or whatever um but you know we're kind of this, this strange uh world of you know pop will eat itself um gay bikers on acid uh big audio dynamite all these wedding present we're all kind of like in some small way or another were sort of all courting us either, you know, will you, you, you pop will eat itself, want you to tour with them. Gay bike. We supported gay bikers, at, um, big shirt, the, the, um, the Kentish well, town and country club. It was called in those days. Oh yes. And, um, I was sort of my, my sister's ex-boyfriend was in the wedding present. Um, Dave Golding, I think he was a wedding. No, not the wedding. He was in the Weather Prophets. Sorry. Um, so, but the wedding present were kind of yeah. The, the management was sort of interested, and and so there's kind of this. This is because uh, we were sort of in the major music press, front covers and stuff. We were kind of elevated a little bit out of the the punk scene and kind of sort of um, kind of swilling around with these kind of the the indie sort of scene, as it were. Um, and so it just all seemed a bit ridiculous, whereas we're just a bunch of 16, 17 year olds that making punk and, and really into um, bands like Rites of Spring from Washington, D.C. And, and you know, this is we, we, this isn't what we wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, had we been five, ten years older, perhaps we would we'd see, oh, yes, we could capitalize on this and do this. And that'd be very clever. But um yeah, I remember one time we, we the, the, one of the a journalist from I think Melody Maker rang us up and said, "Look, I'm booking gigs for this uh, new club in in Vienna, 
and they really want to uh, book the stupids. So, yeah, we agreed to do it. We, we were all flown out to Vienna to do this gig. We got to this new club. It was amazing, uh, modern, uh, ultra shishi club. And we got there and all the equipment that we'd asked for was there waiting for us, the, all completely top of the line gear. And so we start plugging in sound checking and uh, the club's manager's just absolutely panicking. And he sort of, please come come into the office. And, and um, he's got a copy of Van Stupid on, on the, the office record player and he's playing the, the awful hip hop song. I go, can't you play this? Can't you? And we're like, no, no, we're a, we're a punk band. Um, and he's just absolutely panicked that he realized that he'd booked a, um, a hardcore punk band to play in this ultra shishi clubs opening night. And um, we, so we went, went for a walk into town kind of a little bit worried, but just kind of oblivious going, ha, ah, well, you know, whatever. We bumped into this, this, this sort of kid um, who was like, Oh my God, you're the stupids. What are you doing in Vienna? And he, he had absolutely no idea we're playing. And um, he dragged us to this record shop and, and uh, he, he then just went off and told absolutely everyone in Vienna, like, oh, my God, the stupids are here and they're playing in this crazy club. And uh, it, the club ended up being completely packed full of um, hardcore kids sort of stage diving. And, you know, it was an amazing gig, but completely, uh, you know, a ridiculous situation uh, never to be asked back <laughs> but uh, yeah brilliant brilliant yes. night just an example of uh, kind of you know crossed wires and and um I, I think i think really we knew that most of these people um that were sort of courting us just didn't have any idea of of who we were mm-hmm. or what we were doing and you know i don't think any any you know, I, I don't think any mistakes were made on our part of, you know, there was really nothing to pursue. We would have played for Big Audio Dynamite, but I think the, the, the they were planning some um, uh, big sort of event in a park, an all-day festival thing. We would have done that, but it, it didn't happen. And so, you know, it was just um, crazy stuff. And then, then it sort of petered out and then it all you know people moved on you know but just just briefly because actually i've got to go about um soon ish but just um what was the just two questions what was the what was the track that you mentioned this kind of hip-hop track so oh it's called the stupid boys and it's um it's the last track on the original van stupid right Uh, we and we hate it so much that we've we left it off um, I think it's been left off every reissue of it, <laughs> which is which is a bit unfair and revisionist, really, because it 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 really did have a lot to do with um, you know what was what we were doing, what we're what we were really into. Yes. Um, you know, I think I think for half an hour in the studio, we got quite serious and thought, "Oh, this is going to be good," but it, it is awful, <laughs> um, and and kind of. You know, we were just really high on on the Beastie Boys because you know, to 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 us, you know, we knew the Beastie Boys as they were a, um, a really bad um, punk band from New York, and the fact that they come out with this amazing hip hop album, yeah, um, it was just mind blowing. So we were really, really sort of inspired by that. Yeah, and just last question: What would you kind of say to your eighteen-year-old self, kind of? 
after decades of experience and oh don't worry that's that's what i'd say don't worry about it have have a great time that's what i'd say (laughs) (laughs) excellent that's a bit spinal tap isn't it really (laughs) have a great time all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think you're right actually that's you know because a lot of people actually a lot of people when i ask that question often say i just wish i'd enjoyed it more or lightened up and just kind of took a moment to think oh this is great but didn't realize that it was a great moment when they were doing their you know that 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 kind of I suppose it's a honeymoon period isn't it the five years and then you know the the marriage gets a bit sour and then it all gets a bit messy and then it's all like oh well and then look back oh god I wish I just enjoyed a bit more yeah I mean it's easy to get caught up with with micro politics and he said she said and all that sort of stuff which definitely happened but I think I, I really I think we had a great time and, um, you know, we're, you know, had a great experience being uh, doing everything from, you know, being nothing great, going up through through the ranks into this kind of really crazy thing. David Bowie talking about us in Rolling Stone and, and it's like, oh, my God. And then, you know, it's it's really fun stuff, you know. Indeed. And that's the best way to be. Anyway, thank you ever so much to Tom from the stupids for giving me the time for that interview really appreciated it as always and um yes onwards and upwards and if you want to find out any more information i do believe there's bits and pieces out there in social media land and also without sounding too desperate you can um contact me <coughs> contact me i was getting emotional there um via facebook twitter instagram just go to act c86 show keep it positive and groovy otherwise don't bother and also like i said and now i do sound uh, desperate you can find any of the archive shows which i've been doing for nearly two and a half three years on uh, spotify iTunes, Mixcloud, Podbean, C86 show. It's there. It could just change your life. Anyway, I'll leave you with another track from that John Peel session. See, I really did enjoy the John Peel sessions. Um, have a great week. Beastie Brat. Beastie Brat. Who? From Ipswich, man. Beastie Brat. Skate. All right.